Hello and welcome back. I'm Dr. Nicole and this is Aspen Talks Health. Today I'm joined by Candice Clare. She is a Chopra certified meditation and Ayurveda lifestyle instructor. She's certified aromatherapist and certified yoga health coach. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Such a pleasure to have you. You're such a treat. Uh, we are going to talk about Ayurveda for healing. and I, This is a topic I'm most interested in because, of course, it's centuries old, right? About 5,000 years. Wow. <laughs> it's the oldest healing system on the planet, and it's uh, still as relevant today as it was then. Fascinating. Yeah, we are going to get into the details of that. But first, let's start with your story because it's an interesting one. Okay. Please. Well, uh, I... As far as getting into the Ayurveda and meditation and um, aromatherapy, I went to it as most people do because I was suffering. I was not in a good place. I was living under stress and, um, and it was really the godsend because I got into these, these studies and these practices and I was in a marriage with someone who I dearly loved and he was suffering a mental illness. and. It was really through the practices that helped me finally understand that it was taking me down, it was taking my daughter down, our daughter down. She was um, just becoming a teenager and I was seeing the wear and tear of the toxicity in the home um, wearing on her. So that was where I really started putting my attention that you know I need to change something because I had spent enough time meditating and working on myself and realizing that things weren't changing and I needed to change. So um, without getting into all the details, I had a period of a few years that were just incredibly intense. I, I mentioned, I started with my daughter, um, just needing to address signs of stress that I was seeing in her. And then uh, my father uh, was got leukemia and it was the same day that my husband and I um, decided to separate. Three weeks later, my father was dead. And eight months later, before my husband and I ever, we never actually divorced, um, but he died by suicide. And it was a very intense and tragic time. Um, and I just knew in my core that I had to somehow get through it and show my daughter that life is worth living and, um, and that we are meant to overcome tragedies and actually triumph. But in the process, it was challenging. My health tanked, which really just gives me a wonderful perspective on what really happens when, when we're not truly coping and dealing with the stress in our lives. And, um, but it also gave me the perfect, uh, the perfect mm. project <laughs> to study on my healing journey because I'm I don't give up on things. I'm passionate, and I'm passionate about natural healing. And um, so I, I meant to bring a photo, but I didn't. But literally, what happened is my I was burning from here to here, and it would just literally you could fry an egg on my face. It was it would burn. It would blister. I felt horrible. I was exhausted. It was difficult to get through the day, and and as a woman, it was. Quite quite uh, traumatic to look up and see my skin that everyone could see just really suffering. And, um, and then it would peel and then it would sag. <laughs> it was really 
a very, very uh, severe reaction that kept cycling. And so it, it really took me about, uh, you know, it would steadily, it got better, but it took me about four, five years for sure to get out of that pattern. And so I just focused on my health. And um, to punctuate that, so my daughter was 14 when um, her dad, my husband, died, and she was just starting high school. So we had sort of that whole dynamic going on. And then, and then she was diagnosed, we found through actually a natural practitioner, a tumor that was a grapefruit-sized tumor. And um, so we, she's so brave and she's such an inspiration even to me here. You know, we just dealt with it like we were dealing with everything else. And thank God it was benign. She's happy. She's thriving as a sophomore in college. And, you know, and now I'm thriving too. But it was, it was a tough, it was a tough four years. Um, and, you know, we'll always still processing, but th that was, that was like literally, I felt like I was being asked to walk on hot coals mm. in bare feet and just get through it. And that's, that's what I did. You know, every day I didn't feel good. And, but I, I kept thinking, you know, through Ayurveda, you know, your body has the wisdom to heal. And as long as you can give it what it needs, and it's hard in our culture to go against some mainstream. You know, I did go to doctors, both um, both Western and Eastern, and nobody really knew what to do with me. So I really, I really did become my own doctor with some help. You know, my help from my teachers. I'm a seeker, and and then I just the most important thing that you get from everyone you interview here, and that we can all learn is that it information doesn't equal transformation. So we really have to do things. We have to practice things. It's not just learning about it. It's saying no. I had to learn to say no to a lot because I had to give my body rest. But I can now, I don't even think about, it's a rare thing that I think about napping during the day. During that time, it was a chore to get up, but I would do it. I'd get up and get my daughter breakfast and lunch. Sometimes I would go back to bed for a little while because I didn't feel good. And, and then I'd usually have to take a nap because I'd be exhausted. But, you know, that's just because there's, there's such a breakdown on all your bodies. Um, and so I had to just constantly work on blind faith and then trust in the ancient wisdom and modern, uh, modern things that they didn't know about back then. You tapped on something so important. I know exactly what I need to be eating. I know exactly what I need to be doing. Do I do it every day? No. So it in Ayurveda, that's called the root cause of disease, pragnya parad. That's the Sanskrit word, and it means crime against wisdom, literally. And it means, in layman's terms, knowing what you should do and not doing it, or knowing what you shouldn't do and doing it anyway. And we all do that. But if you can get into the 80% of like hitting that mark, because you don't also want to be a rigid person, right. but... You know, if you can, if with Ayurveda, it's it, we talk about the 80-20 rule. If you can get the momentum over to 80%, then the 20% isn't going to take you out. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of us are suffering so much so that we have to maybe be, I had to be like 95% yeah. while I was healing. You also have to rewire your brain because there are pathways that have been developed oh, yeah. that, that train you to behave in a certain way. 
and and you I'm impulsive and I, I like to satisfy my cravings that's yeah. kind of built into my wiring now yeah and you know you've just touched on something with um, Ayurveda because we have chant like when you're talking about the pathways we are these organisms full of pathways so in our physical body, we have pathways. I mean, one of the most obvious is, you know, mouth to anus, right? It's a pathway. It's we take pathway. in, we <laughs> hopefully digest and assimilate, and then we let go of what we don't need. That's a pathway. Um, when you get into the mind field, those are more subtle pathways. But, but actually, according to Ayurveda, those would be more considered in, the, in what we call the vata dosha, which is associated with the elements of um, air and ether. And so it, it's like controlling the movement of our whole nervous system in our body. And when that goes out of balance, it's called the king dosha, then it can throw everything out of balance. So really, how do you, how do you use this information to help whether your tendency may be to go to maybe a compulsive behavior. Someone else may go out of balance in a very lethargic way. Another person may go out of balance in a very fiery way, you know, a very um, sort of angry and irritable way. So, you know, you look at how you go out of balance, and Ayurveda has a tool for that. Hmm. And, um, and in a nutshell, if, because you could talk about this for, you know, for hours and hours and hours and years and your whole life. But in a nutshell, Ayurveda boils down to good health is good agni or good digestive fire, both physically and mentally. And so when, the, when we have breakdowns, and often we tend to think, where did that come from? But if we're listening and if we're practicing, and, if we, and, and this is something that really we should be teaching the children you know, in school, yeah. to how to care for your body, because in Ayurveda, there's six stages of disease, and we usually, in modern day, don't catch it until it's at five or six, but if you are catching the imbalances earlier and, and dealing with them, then it's not so hard, mm. because, you know, anytime, you know, the further down the rabbit hole, like I was, the harder it is to get out, right. and, um, and what was interesting to me and where, uh, where I was, you know, angry and felt like it wasn't fair because I thought I, I was already eating an organic diet. I exercise every day and I'm like, you know, why me? But what I really realized is I just lived too long in a chronically stressful situation and then it was punctuated by a lot of stress and I really... Um, I didn't have the structure to really hold me in all of that so well. So my body did what it was doing to protect me. You know, it fell apart. And, it, and you know, when we can look at it that way, you know, the body doesn't really care if, you're, if you go out to see a concert that night. You know, if, you, if the body's suffering and you're sick, it's, it's giving you a message, and then you tune into it, and you start, you know, you start hopefully choosing better choices for yourself. And that's really what Ayurveda is all about. I concentrate more on teaching people habits to live in their body. I, I've, I chose to do that more so than go on um, an intellectual path with it as far as teaching it you know, from that point of view or even from a practitioner's point of view, because that to me is also, it's great to have them, but I didn't want to be in that allopathic position. 
because I, one thing that's really wonderful is if you entrain yourself with nature, which is what Ayurveda asks us to do, then you might not even need something that you were thinking you needed. You know, you might, you might have this feeling like I need these pills or supplements, but if you're strengthening your body and, and acknowledging that, you know, we're a human organism, we, we are on a circadian rhythm and we can choose not to follow it or we can choose to follow it. Yeah. What are some of the habits? So some of the habits are simply you, to start your day right the next day, it matters how you end your day the day before. So if you look at it like even a bank account, if you, um, in Ayurveda, we want to really not be eating food or a meal after six o'clock. It is when our digestive fire, that Agni, is the weakest. And so when you're eating a meal, you can choose to do that at eight or nine o'clock. Or even if you're eating a meal and eating your heaviest meal at that time, it's not the kindest thing to do your, to your body because your body is not wired to be able to really digest that meal. So we start looking at the habits the day before, from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. That is what's called like a kapha time of day. Kapha is a word that is actually describing the two elements of water and earth. It's heavy. It's cohesive. So when you're looking at the end of the day, you want to not be putting more in for, to digest, but it's a time that you want to go on a walk with a loved one or you know do something really you do some self-care practices like to wind down make sure that your computer and all of those devices are um, not grabbing your attention after eight and take a bath take an essential oil you know sea salt bath that helps your body get ready to do something very important and that's sleep so if we help our body segue into that and um, you know, even by, you know, turning down the lights and just letting our body do what it needs to do, which is to produce the melatonin mm -hmm. so that we can really have a deep sleep. And then when we get from 10 p, so hopefully you can go to bed by 10 or close to 10, between 10 and 2 in the nighttime is, it's a hot time of night. Your liver is a hot pit of organ. It's associated with fire. It's detoxifying. So if you are choosing to go against those rhythms, it's like the janitor comes in to clean up, you know, the mess from the day to detoxify and you're out partying and it's like, I can't do my work with this job and the janitor doesn't do his job. And so you accumulate toxins. In Ayurveda, this would be called ama. So, you know, being on the rhythms, you're going to prepare your body to sleep. You're going to be mindful of the energies of the time of day and the time of night. When you're allowing yourself, those are the most important uh, hours to sleep between 10 and 2. It's really the, the powerhouse of detoxification for your body. If you have eaten a very heavy late meal with a lot of alcohol, you're going to overload that pitta organ of your liver that does so much for you. So if you can look at, start looking at yourself as like, from a witnessing point of view, it's like, why would I be so harsh on my liver? You know, let me help you out. Let me, you know, do these habits. And um, in Ayurveda, when you're doing these habits, you're actually evolving wisdom. And then why do the monks wake up at 3 and they're meditating at 4 a.m.? 
So this is the vata time of day between 2 and 6 a.m. It's the most ethereal. You think of the qualities of ether and air. It's, uh, it's called uh, the, the hour before dawn is called the Brahma Muhurta, which is the, it's the most um, spiritual time of day. So, you know, the ideal is if you are waking up when the birds are waking up, you know, right before the sun rises, you get to capture this incredibly expansive time of day. And it's a wonderful time to do your meditation. So, you know, now we're getting into the next day. And if you've, if you've started, your, you know, ended your evening well and slept, then you can start your day right. And those habits are going to be meditation. Uh, they're going to be scraping your tongue. Some people may not have heard of that, but it's you just you can have a stainless steel or a copper device. It's just you scrape your tongue because all that work that your liver and your digestive system did in the night, you look at your tongue and it has a coating on it. Depending on how much toxicity you have in your body is how white it will be. But with Ayurveda, you, you help your body, you scrape it off, and then you brush your teeth. You can oil pull if you want, which is swishing with like a sesame or a coconut oil. But these are, these are habits that are honoring your body, which is your vehicle to cruise around this life in. And you may as well take care of it so you can feel good and look good and go about your day. So, you know, these are like little habits. And while they seem little, they're important. So... You know, go ahead. Yeah, a few more would be to drink a nice glass of fresh water in the morning. Absolutely. To hydrate your insides and then also to maybe use some natural oils on your body and, and kind of love yourself while you're, you're lathering them Those on. are super important Ayurvedic daily practices. These are dinacharya. They're daily practices. So you want to scrape your tongue and brush your teeth before you put the water in. So the water is like an inner flush. Yes. And you can do that just plain water. Ayurveda would say have it room temperature or even a little warmer. It's like melting through the toxins. You can add lemon or apple cider vinegar. And even um, you can put salt in the water. That's another way to help. It, it, but it's got to be sea salt, not, um, not your grocery store variety. Right. And that's going to help your cells hydrate. So, yes, we do that. And you want to do some breath body practices too. So that's uh, pranayama. When you've been sleeping and prone, at, you know the, you, you can get a little stale and your oxygen. So when you do breath body, you're actually reoxygenating all of your blood, bringing in fresh life force prana energy. And then the abhyanga that you're speaking of is a very nourishing thing to do. So. It's something that I do every day. I think it really helps my skin and it helps your lymphatic system. But you, you take a beautiful organic carrier oil. It can, be, um, it can have some lovely aromatherapy in it. And you literally massage. It's on the long bones. You make long strokes and on your joints around. But you really massage oil into your whole body. And you can do this and then shower or you can just let it soak in. You know, my my body just soaks up the oil. So um, especially here in Colorado. So I like to actually do my abhyanga after my shower because I just like to keep that. But yes, that's the abhyanga is a very important daily practice. And so these are all things when we're talking the the hour. You know, it's a twenty four hour cycle. The kapha, pitta, and vata are the same 
on the a.m. and the p.m. of the clock, but in the morning we are moving out of kapha because we've been asleep. So then we're doing all these practices like I just mentioned to help move you out of the kapha. And then when you're in the pitta time of day... Which is feisty. That's yes, the fire. and it's like when the sun is the highest, the sun is out, your energy, if you're entrained correctly, should be that should be your productive time of day. And it's also when you should be eating your biggest meal because your digestive um, fire is the strongest. Yeah. So we really want to be having, depending on, you know, you that we, Ayurveda has always talked about a fast. Um, it's very popular now here, and I'm loving hearing doctors really talk about intermittent fasting because our bodies are meant to fast. That's how we repair. Right. And so we eat our meals and we really, um, if, if we can, not snack because we, it's this whole dynamic of rest and digest. And the same thing with our minds. So we, we, we tend to focus a lot on our physical body, which we should, but we also, one thing that our modern culture really doesn't do enough of um, and isn't educated about is meditation is not a luxury. It's not something that just the gurus and the monks do. It's, it's a technique and a habit that every single person on this planet should be doing every day. And it's, a, it's literally a habit to allow your mind to digest all of the thoughts, feelings, impressions, emotions that happen. Why is that important? That's important for many reasons. But what, in, from an Ayurvedic perspective, we, we take in a thousand thoughts with a blink of an eye. And we can really just focus on one, thank God, or we'd be crazy. But we, <laughs> we, need to, we need to do something. Now, some of them we might just you know, filter through. But what happens is all of those undigested uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions will go to our subconscious, which is really what's running the show. And so what happened and what I would say definitely contributed to my husband's illness and um, and then you know really in just this valley we see so much depression so much um, pathology in the mind and not just in this valley but we've seen a lot but you know throughout the world and it's because I love the way one of my um, younger Ayurvedic teachers described it if you think of your your mind in these three levels we have the conscious part we're talking we're you know very aware of that then we have our subconscious mind that's truly running us. And it's like, you know, when you, when you mentioned, oh, well, I have this compulsion to do something, that's your subconscious mind. Yeah. And so it's very difficult to, to go against that. In Ayurveda, you might say this is, is the ahamkar or the ego mind, which, and, and there's nothing wrong with an ego because it just knows the past and the familiar. But if you're not helping grow your ego up with you, it's always going to give you a pullback to maybe something that's not healthy. You know, maybe something that served you at one point and not another. So when we take time with a practice like meditation, then we are allowing our thoughts to just process. When we take time to feel an anger or feel a sadness or feel an anxiety, you know, when we actually sit, and so a meditation doesn't mean you're just gonna be you know, immediately this zen, perfect, calm person. And meditation might be very turbulent. I can tell you mine were turbulent every day with what was going on with me. But I had learned from the Chopra Center, that's not the time to give up. It's the time to really do it. Make sure you, you don't ever miss because you're allowing that 
it's like an off-gassing. And so when you think about the computer uh, on your, uh, the little trash can on your computer, you can look at that as your subconscious. And if you keep putting stuff in it, and if you don't empty the trash, you know, there's going to be pressure. Is there a fine line between ruminating on it, though, versus processing and getting it out? Like, how do you know the difference? Because my mind repeats. I'll repeat the scenario. Right. And so, you know, and, and I think most of us have that tendency. That would be a, that's when I would bring it into a conscious practice. So if you have the awareness, if you meditate what you want to do, it's, you're always going to have these thoughts. So here you're ruminating on something. Right. The practice is when you notice that you're ruminating on it, you choose. So this is, a, this is like flexing a muscle. This is like lifting a weight. You choose to focus on a mantra yeah. That's, or a breath. You know, um, but mantras have this wonderful magic that can happen on your mind. Yeah. So you'll focus on that. And then what you're doing is you're retraining your brain that, okay, you're not going to beat it up for having that thought, but you're training it to not stay in that thought. And so when you're doing the practice, it's going to be this constant pendulum swinging back and forth. And, um, and then you'll find that you actually, over time, you won't ruminate as much. Nice. Yeah, it's true. You're rewiring the brain, essentially. You are. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left. It went so quickly. But um, what are the quick daily rhythms of Ayurveda? Is that part of the... That's the Dinacharya. So that's what we're talking about. It's in training with these energies of the day. Okay. So in the morning, the energy is, you know, the practices Got that it. I talked about. Okay. And then the evening, winding down. Yeah. And, and the five bodies? The five bodies. So we have a physical body. Yeah. And this is one that we're all familiar with. We have, um, and that's, and, and they're all called koshas, which mean layers in Ayurveda. So um, it's actually referred to in Ayurveda as the layer made from food. And it's the anamaya kosha. The next is the pranamaya kosha. That's the life force. That's the energetic body that we all have. It's measurable now, scientifically. And, and we can have a, a, a collapse in on us or it can expand. actually expand. And we want to have... We want to have a clean, fresh energy. We have a mental body. This is the manamaya kosha. This is where we take everything in through our sensory perception, through our eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skin. We feel things. That's how we experience our whole life. So we, and then we also have that part of the, the, um, the mind, which is thinking and choosing and all of that. We have what's called the third eye. And uh, this is the Vijnanamaya Kosha, and that's where, the knowingness. That's when you really develop your intuition. And then, uh, and then lastly, we have the Anandamaya Kosha, which is the bliss body. It, it's really where we want to expand out to. It's more of a spiritual, uh, never born, never die part of us mm -hmm. that um, we hope to really flow freely with all of our bodies, not just the physical, certainly not just the mental. Right. Yeah. Who can this help? This can help every single person on the planet. And it is my greatest passion and desire to help people learn that these practices do matter. You know, when you are in training with nature, you are empowering your body to have a stronger healing force anyway. And yeah. um, with consciousness and with allowing the, the uh, you know, meditation is what I started in with all of this in. And it's uh, it's just so important, and people resist it. Such a pleasure to have you on the show, Candace. Thank you so much oh, for sharing your wisdom. You. How can people find you? 
Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, at swansage.com. Swansage.com. Yes. Good. We'll put all that information up on Aspen Talks Health, as always. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to learn from you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you for having me. Mm, such a treat. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for tuning in.